This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Emma Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. How are we doing, Adam? Um, we are good. That's a lame answer. Because my life is pretty (laughs) dull right now, and I was just trying to figure out, like, what day of the week is it? What have I done today? (laughs) I didn't quite know how to answer your question, but everything is fine. Let's move on. Basic life skills 101. How are you? <laughs> I'm glad we got past that one. Yeah, I know what you mean, actually. It seems like there is a little bit of a lull at the moment. Um, for those looking for a COVID update on my end, finally tested negative today after what would what's probably up now of eight days of, of really feeling pretty rough. So uh yeah, it, it does it does get you fed up a little bit, obviously staying indoors and, and keeping away from people and, and the lack of social interaction, which usually like three hundred and sixty five days a year isn't an issue for me. But now when you sort of being forced to do it and the sun's been shining here in Manchester, so it's been uh it's been a little bit of a struggle, but uh, back speaking to all you wonderful lot, so that's superb. Um, well, well, I essentially live in a COVID bubble anyways, as it is. <laughs> self my, uh, my longtime girlfriend, who I, I live with, is actually living about three hours north right now because she's smart and working in a hospital up there <laughs> temporarily. Um, and I just kind of wander around the house, and then me and my dog will look at each other every once in a while and kind of wonder who's going to speak first. <laughs> Um, so I, I kind of live in that COVID positive bubble anyway. I don't really go anywhere. You're turning feral. You're going to start walking around <laughs> on all fours. Your girlfriend's going to come home once and you're going to start barking. She's moving, she's moving back in tomorrow. Thank the Lord. Uh, I'll, I'll, 
see if I remember how to speak to a human in person. <laughs> well, my girlfriend's been out in uh, in Liverpool, actually, of all places, on cocktails today in the I'm sun. Sorry. So uh, I've had I've had a, a little bit of uh, resentment, a little bit of jealousy. So uh, I've uh, I've poured myself a beer, and we'll, we'll get back into it then. Um, Right, okay, we'll start off with the Brighton game then and we'll, and we'll be really, really quick with the Brighton game because I think by the time this goes out, that it will probably be in the back of most people's memories. It was a, a pretty forgettable game as it was. City free, Brighton nil. All that was needed was a return to winning ways. I'll give you three words, Adam, to describe this match. Only three words and then we're going to leave it alone. So what are your, your trio of words to describe City free, Brighton nil? Well, I am laughing because I just That's not three words. I'm reading your rundown <laughs> sheet for the first time and noticing that it says three words because I have a full paragraph prepared oh, for this. God, okay. Um, my three words were got it done. Yeah. That's what I'm I think that with. works. I think that works. I guess we can pick up on something from that game then, and that was the the injuries, because they're starting to be a little bit problematic. And like I said, we won't we won't take up too much time on this, but as the day of recording, there's been contrasting reports about whether or not Kyle Walker might miss the Real Madrid games or even the rest of the season in general. Nathan Ake went off injured during the Brighton match and it looked like John Stones went off hobbling as well. City are already working with a really patched up squad and it's starting to look like a little bit of an issue, especially in defence, isn't it? Yeah, it was definitely worrying to see. Uh, it seems like the Ake and Stones knocks are nothing more than that. Um you know, when Stones was walking off the pitch, all the City players were kind of coming up to him and, and sort of mm. checking him out. And he, you could court, sort of see him saying something along the lines of, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I just just felt something in my hamstring. Um, you know, and then, you know, Pep Guardiola and asked him a question when he came off and he kind of gave him a nod and said, yeah, I'm fine. And then I think, I think Pep described it as John was feeling tight afterwards. Mm. Um, I fully expect him to be back for Watford. Um, whether that's on the bench just to as a precaution and, and have Laporte and, and Ruben Diaz in there since he's getting back to fitness, we'll see. But I'm not too worried about it, to be honest, just kind of based off of the reaction to those injuries. Yeah, the I think the line was um, he spoke to the physio about John Stones, but he, he wasn't he didn't understand him properly because Pep was drinking wine at the right. time, which is uh, one of the lines of the season. Yeah, I guess it it, it starts to become a problem when they when they top up, and it, we're at that part of the season where all it takes is one or two injuries, and obviously Kyle Walker is is probably the main one. But then Ruben Diaz is coming back, so there does seem to be like a little bit of a revolving doors of players coming back to fitness, but then players dropping out, and just fingers crossed that doesn't really sort of spiral out of control. Um, I would say main topics for the day then, because like I said, we will we'll part the, the Brighton stuff and we'll leave that alone. It was a good win and an important win, but there was not really many other takeaways apart from getting the three points and a couple of injuries. Um, we'll speak about Erling Haaland then, because that has been the main talking point among City supporters and, and even the media for the last few days. And we'll also give our thoughts on the title running, which is really starting to hot up now. We're into the final sort of the final leg of the season, just a few games remaining and obviously plenty to play for. We'll start with Haaland stuff then because it may tie into our discussion a little bit later on when we're speaking about City's playing style right now and how that might change. So we won't redo what's been done elsewhere and go through the details of the move and the, the specific finances and the reports because I'm sure you've already heard all of that stuff and, you, and it may change by the time this goes out. 
But what we can deduce and what we can be confident of saying is City are in pole position to sign Erling Haaland from Borussia Dortmund. Real Madrid are still alive in that transfer saga and who knows, they may pop in and, and when Real Madrid pop in, it's hard to say go away. Um, but he's a free-scoring, athletic, physical striker. Everything that makes you love football, especially when it comes to goal scoring. One of the most sought-after names in world football. What are your immediate feelings around this move then, Adam? I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's a new dimension for an already brilliant team. Um, it's going to give City something uh, a little bit different in attack. We'll we'll talk a little bit later about kind of how he fits in and where he fits in and does he fit in. Um, but he's he's a new dynamic to a team that is somewhat of a one-trick pony. It's a one-trick that works really, really well. Um, yeah. But it is a team that's somewhat of a one-trick pony. And and off the pitch, it's a really big statement signing from the club. You know, I put out on Twitter when when all the stories were kind of building up, just asking, is is this the first signing of by the club of this ilk? Um, and it was kind of unanimously across all my replies, yes. I had a couple people, which I agreed with in some way, that Robinho was a bit like that, the you know, in the way that he came from from Real Madrid, he played at AC Milan. It's a guy that was almost a Galactico in his previous mm-hmm. clubs. Um, but the the huge huge difference is that was 2008, and City were just putting themselves on the map, and he didn't necessarily bring any sort of success. He was just a big name coming in yeah. for a big big name's sake. Whereas Holland is coming in to make an already great team even better. Um, but I, I think it's a huge statement signing and a, and a new type of signing for the club. 100%. I guess the Robinho one for me, that was to make a statement off the pitch, whereas the Haaland one does that as well, but it's also going to make a statement on the pitch. And this isn't just some sort of clamouring to get some some shirt sales in, in the Middle East or you know to increase City's brand awareness in, in the US. This is... <laughs> this is like I said at the top, this is the most sought-after player in world football. And to beat Real Madrid, which I think is the key sticking point here, to actually go head-to-head, and albeit, you know, the, the Spanish journalists will will have you believe that Real Madrid are, are not being able to compete with the, with the wealth of Manchester City, and we'll address all that a little bit later on. But to sort of, get in there before before a club like that and and say you know what this is the destination for you right now as a 22 year old who is who is you know looking to go from world class to to one of the best in the world and perhaps even one of the best of all time that's a real statement and that's what's really getting me excited i'll read out some stats for you then and um starting off with his time during starting off with his time at red bull salzburg 27 games, 29 goals, 7 assists. Then he transferred over to Borussia Dortmund in the in the January transfer window of 2020. Since then, it's been 85 games, 82 goals, 23 assists. I can see you shaking your head. There's more to come. In the last year alone, so this is um, off F-B-R-E-F, F-B-Ref, I think it's called, is, is to give it its proper name. This is the, the, the 365 days prior to the day of recording. In the last year alone, he's averaged 0.93 non-penalty goals per game. His expected goals and assists combined is above one per game. And obviously, he's only 22, 22 years old. And these numbers belong to a seasoned professional who's been playing at the top for a very, very long time. He looks like the real deal. Smells like the real deal, sounds like the real deal, but does Erling Haaland fit Manchester City? In its current iteration, not necessarily. 
Um, but you'd be foolish to think that Pep Guardiola doesn't have some sort of ideas for his arrival. Um, you know, city may lose some of the control that we see on a weekly basis. Um, but the lack of control, uh, of the game could result in more goals than perhaps, you know, than, than it's perhaps a a no lose situation. Uh, you're kind of giving up one thing to, to gain another. Um, I, for one last summer, I was not somebody that was all in on signing a striker. Um, mm. I had a lot of kind of heated debates with other city fans about that, that I felt the kind of the system that fit the team that we had was this false nine and and having the Uber control. And I think I would say I feel vindicated in the fact that we're still on, on pace for a, a champions league and a, and a, and a premier league double. Um, but I think, kind of we've had these mini evolutions of Pep Guardiola's teams over the years. You know, you go from 2016-17, the team he inherits, <clears throat> kicks about half the team out the door, brings in his his high-flying fullbacks, high-flying wingers, and that was a, you know, a swashbuckling high-scoring team. And then you move on to 2018-19, pretty similar. Um, but then as we start to see Ruben Diaz come in the door, the team becomes a bit more solid, a bit more. Um, they have a bit more control in games, and then when when Sergio Aguero leaves and you don't replace him with any striker, then it's the, the uber control that we see these days. And I think Erling Holland's addition is just kind of the next mini evolution, and and Pep will definitely have some ideas for his arrival. I hope so. Anyway, it's gonna be a it's gonna be an expensive doorstop if he isn't. But obviously, you spotted he's gonna have plenty of ideas. And if they're not already being sketched down now, you can imagine him uh, doing what what we all like to call overthinking in his, in his study, probably with a nice bottle of red and and neglecting the family time just to think about this big Norwegian robot. Uh, you mentioned the control there, and, and I think it's definitely correct that City will lose that control, but. Does that really matter if you've got somebody who's scoring the goals? Because at the moment, it feels like that stranglehold on on the on the ball, on on possession, and on a football match is needed because City are not going to convert every chance they create, or at least not going to convert chances to a, to a sort of percentile that will equate to you know blowing a team away. Um, obviously, the 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 strike one has been a, an issue or a talking point for for a couple of seasons now I think it's fair to say even though Aguero left at the end of what was it last season it felt like his departure had already sort of started to be put in place in in the preseason before obviously City were going after Harry Kane and then switched their attentions to Lionel Messi Aguero left then it was all in on Kane and that didn't happen and I've, I've seen some people even now as the rumours start to hot up suggesting that Harry Kane is still the better fit for City but um, I think most of that comes from the fact that he can score goals and he can also create but again looking at the same website Harry Kane's expected assists um, in the last year 0.25 Erling Haaland 0.27 Harry Kane's assists per 90 0.26 Erling Haaland 0.38 so the idea that Erling Haaland is coming in just to score goals I think is a tiny bit of a a fallacy if you like because he has he has shown and has provided albeit not the same numbers as Harry Kane probably due to the lack of minutes and will address perhaps some overlying injury concerns a little bit later on but the idea that he's just that sort of one trick pony plug and play put him inside the 18 yard box and he'll score goals isn't necessarily true because he has shown before 
for Dortmund, for Salzburg, that there is creativity there. And and you then introduce the coaching of somebody like Pep Guardiola and, and the and the levels that, that a man like that can go and, and get the, the best out of a player like this. You're probably going to look at a really complete striker who isn't going to be afraid of dropping into deep and, and starting from starting moves from those sort of the same positions that Harry Kane has done in the last sort of 18 months or so. Yeah, and I actually kind of subscribe to the idea that Harry Kane is the better fit for this team than Erling Holland, but that's this team in its current iteration. Um, that doesn't mean that you can bring somebody else like Holland in or whoever it may be. What you know, Dusan Vlahovic, any any number nine that you can name from around Europe. Um, it doesn't mean that they can't come in and you can fit the team around them. Um, and I think Erling Holland is the kind of player that you can build a team around. Mm. You know, he's. He's somebody that's going to come in and it's it's not like Jack Grealish where Jack Grealish is a phenomenal player and was a phenomenal player at Villa, but he's going to come in and and he did come in and it's it's not build the team around Jack. It's make Jack fit into the, the team that that's yeah. already out there and, and he's going to have to learn his role in this team. Whereas I think Holland is the kind of player that he comes in and Pep says, right, what do I need to tweak so that you know these little these little pullbacks from the from the touchline. They're all falling at Erling's feet. For me, it's pretty simple in the fact that if you bring in Erling Haaland, you don't just sort of tweak the system. You rewrite it if necessary. You make sure whatever system you go out and play, it suits him to a T. And and I suppose we can we can do a little bit of. Um, a little bit of, of looking into the future and seeing how this will go and, and what sort of setup we kind of envisage because, like you say, and I agree as well, the control that we've seen in the sort of last two seasons is definitely going to disappear somewhat. I don't necessarily think we'll be seeing City... I, I don't know. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe we're completely wrong and, and it will be a case of the system stays, Erling Haaland comes in and, and there are tiny, tiny adjustments. But I see a, a situation where City won't be afraid to let the ball go a tiny little bit more if it means that there's going to be space for the likes of Erling Haaland and, and the, the players who will be in and around him will be able to operate in. Um, City have, have been so heavily reliant on a non-striker system for so long now. It, it does feel like when slash if Haaland... Um, turns up there may be a little bit of a period of change and a little bit of a you know take for example I don't know where City might go in the first day of the season it might be Crystal Palace away from home or it might be Everton away or wherever it may be it may be a case of oh nil nil well that's a waste of money isn't it because Haaland had two shots and none of them were on target but I I do envisage that sort of that little bit of a transition period as we go from what has been a, a, a phenomenal system without a striker for for however long it's been now to one that will probably have that figure point and that focal point that has been missing and and for some people has been the been the the issue with City over the last two years so yeah it's pretty remarkable come to think of it that City are where they are right now challenging on on the fronts that they are doing right now considering how badly you'd be led to believe their recruitment has been for the last couple of years and I think that just shows how brilliant of a manager Pep Guardiola is. You know, he came into this league and and all the talk was, oh, we can't win in this country playing that tippy-tappy football. And what did he do? <laughs> he he won the league in 2018. Then they said he, he won't be able to do it again because all the big boys were were weakened this year. And what did he do? He Not only did he win it again, he won a domestic treble. Mm-hmm. Then Aguero's out of the team for a while and, and ultimately ends up leaving the club. And, and what did they say? 
He won't be able to do it without a striker. And and what's he doing? He's on pace for a league and Champions League double without a striker. So he'll adapt to whatever whatever domino effect Erling Holland's signing has, whether it's personnel leaving to re- for for Holland to come in, for Alvarez to come in, um, whether it's a change in system, whether there is this you know kind of period of adaptation where maybe in attack city looks a bit stodgy at times because they're still working out how to fit this big lump of a man in there. Um, but either way, I, I think it just kind of shows how brilliant of a manager Pep has been that all of these kind of different hurdles that looked like hurdles, he kind of just, he, he jumped right over. But Pep Guardiola doesn't like strikers, Adam. So why, why is City spending so much money on, on this, uh, on, on this player? Because, as, and don't get me wrong, I do think there's, there's been instances in the past where Guardiola has not been able to get, or, or maybe maybe not has been able to get, but just didn't want to get the best out of certain strikers, especially in his time in, in Barcelona. But there's also other factors at play there with the board and whatnot. Um, but just two, two number nines or traditional number nines Pep Guardiola has worked with in the case of Robert Lewandowski and Sergio Aguero their goals record is is pretty astonishing particularly Aguero's which I didn't realize was as good as it was and I obviously knew he'd scored a lot but um going back to Lewandowski 67 goals in 100 games now that's really good but he in these 100 games prior and his 100 games before um sorry in his 100 games Prior and his hundred games after did seem to have a little bit of a, a better record, but don't go like remember this is a man who doesn't know how to work with number nines. Sixty-seven goals in hundred games is astonishing. Um, and then Sergio Aguero's, which is is superb, one hundred and twenty-four goals in one hundred and eighty-two games. I think it's simple to say: find the right profile of striker, and and Pep will devour them. He will he will sit in his study, like we said, and he will be dreaming of of what he can do with them. It's just the ones that don't really suit the style, which seems to get thrown to the wayside. And let's not forget that when Pep came into this team, he had no plans for Aguero. I, yeah. I think there yeah. is an alternate universe where Sergio Aguero left this club in in twenty seventeen or eighteen, because you know. Uh, Gabriel Jesus comes in and we see we see Sergio Aguero get kicked to the bench and Jesus plays well in that number nine role mm. and it felt in that moment like are we seeing the end of Sergio Aguero mm. and then whether it's a change in in Sergio's personal thinking or whether it's something that Pep coached into him you know he he fit him into the system and like you said that incredible goal record came um so I think that right there is is just a microcosm of of Pep is he took a player that he probably didn't want to work with, in all honesty, and he mm. worked with him, and mm. and he turned him into a better player when we thought this guy can't get any better. Yeah, and if it wasn't for a few injuries, and and it seems to be the sort of the soundtrack to Aguero's career, but if it wasn't for for injuries, that goals record could have been I don't know 115, 200 games. You know, you think of his last season and how how difficult it was for him to even get in the team and, and sort of maintain fitness let alone get a goal and you, you you do sort of begin to wonder how good it could have been um let's do a little bit of the nitty gritty stuff with the Haaland deal slash transfer talk or whatever you want to call it at this point and the the immediate reaction to City's involvement in this transfer because Understandably, I have to say, understandably, plenty of this focuses around the finances involved in the deal, in the deal, and 
you know, as per usual, they aren't necessarily being reported as as fact. There's a lot of adding the bonuses that might come down the line onto it and sort of inflating the transfer the the transfer fee or, or maybe reporting it in a in a currency that makes it look a little bit bit longer. I think I saw you do a fantastic trick tweet about uh, why don't they just do it in Mexican pesos and it would be like one billion gazillion pounds or something <laughs> like that. Um, but it's it's likely the transfer fee will be less than seventy million pound because of a release clause in in place that was at the start of his uh, Brushy Dortmund contract. But then obviously you've got the wages, the agent fees, the commissions, which will be an awful lot of money. But then again, City are an elite team. They are performing at the top of their game. They've got one of the best, if not the best managers of all time at the helm. They're reaching the latter stages of the Champions League consistently, continually challenging for league titles. Transfers like this weren't a surprise when big clubs and successful clubs did it in the past. They won't be a surprise when big clubs and successful clubs do them in the future. Why is it such of a surprise now when City are doing it? You you kind of just have to sit back and laugh and just like watch <laughs> everybody stress themselves out over like fake reports and, and things like that. I was listening to the, the Guardian Football Weekly. I don't know why I do that every week, but I, I do. Um, and they were discussing the the staggering five hundred thousand pounds a week wage, the weekly wages of Erling Holland. And one of the members of the panel said, "Yeah, I have, I have a mate who supports City, and he he told me he's pretty bored of the winning and, and bored of of Holland. And and Holland coming in makes it even more bo- boring. And yeah, okay. And my girlfriend is Beyonce. All right, it's utter nonsense that I don't, he's just made up this random person yeah, in, in his yeah. head." Um, but look, it's nothing new. I mean, I remember with Jack Grealish's signing, a, a prominent outlet whose name has completely escaped me despite doing a lot of digging to try and find the exact piece. But they were covering Grealish's signing last summer, and they pointed out that the £150 million signing of Grealish is far beyond that of, of Manchester United's <laughs> signing of Paul Pogba, which only cost £88 million. However, they they failed to mention that the 150 million included all of Jack Grealish's wages and bonuses, such as winning the Ballon d'Or or winning the Champions <laughs> League. But the 88 million they used for Pogba was purely his transfer fee, no wages, no yeah. bonuses. Which and clearly he's never hit any of the bonuses, anyways. So it stayed <laughs> so at 88 million pounds. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of par for the course at this point. Mm. I get worked up. I get worked up, and then I'll send it to especially my brother-in-law who's a lifelong Liverpool fan and he'll just cackle at it and then we'll we'll have a little laugh over it and then I realize that it's all just people looking for clicks and then you move on. They do the job though, don't they? Because we all we all have a nibble now and again and I think um, it's times like this where the bait is well and truly dangled and and all of us uh all of us like to take a little bit of a bite and it, it's finding it's finding the energy to sort of to go for the right ones, isn't it? I suppose, and this, 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 I suppose, sounds obsessive. It sounds bitter, blah blah. Every football fan will be will be like this. I don't care who who you support, whether or not you know it's a, a third division German team or if it's the the Champions League holders. You are going to take take the buy at some point. That that's just what it's like being a football fan. Um, but saying that. As he goes to buy, there have been some really, really horrendous takes around this. And I've seen, particularly and rather confusingly, I've seen Liverpool, who, for for what I can I can deduce, were never really in the in the race to sign him. Obviously, probably scouted him at one point, but were never truly linked with with completing the transfer. They wouldn't 
have approached this deal with a barge pole because of their wage structure and their finances and their ownership, etc. That that's on them. That's not nothing to do with City. Well, that. But like I said, they were never, ever, ever in the race to sign Erling Haaland. Yet somehow, I'm not quite sure how this adds up, but somehow they seem to be the ones coming out the best of a of a deal involving one player going to Manchester City and never have been involved in in signing for another team. I don't know where this has come from, Adam, but it, there is a bizarre a bizarre school of thinking that that believes Liverpool. Not signing Erling Haaland is the best thing for Liverpool. It, it, I, I don't know where to begin with that, but it's a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? So there is one particular website that you and I have been speaking about in the last few days. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name it because I don't want to give them any sort of attention. Um, apart from the, but, the 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 tweet that, that apart from uh, the tweet <laughs> that has hundreds and hundreds of likes and response that I, I sent out, but. I just screenshotted their homepage on my phone the other day because I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> These are the top three headlines on their page. This is a page covering Liverpool. Um, it's not a general football site. It's a Liverpool Football Club specific site. Here's their top three headlines. <laughs> Here's the first one. Liverpool are too smart for Man City mistake as Erling Holland transfer has Kylian Mbappe flaw. All right, next one. Erling Holland is set to prove Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool genius again as 63 million pound transfer is agreed. And then the the final one is not Erling Holland related but it's still city related. Liverpool get glimpse of Man City stress as fixture comparison only adds to Jurgen Klopp hope. I believe <laughs> the kids on the street call this rent free Amos. <laughs> It's like a really bad game of family fortunes. It's like what what's going to be next? Is it uh, Pep Guardiola's pajamas means that Liverpool have edging title race? I don't know. Um, but there there are some astonishing astonishing headlines, and and like I said, I suppose we can all take the moral high ground and say, well, we we all like a little bit of a nibble. But um, the middle one there was particularly fun. That that sort of uh, word on it to sound as if. Uh, Harland is on his way to Merseyside um, <laughs> I enjoy that, I enjoy stuff like that but yeah, um, just to wrap up then all in all, obviously like I said this could be a redundant episode if in seven days time he stood at the Bernabeu having agreed a five year deal with Real Madrid but it does seem as if City are edging closer to uh, a quite a phenomenal transfer and, and like I said Less than seventy million for the transfer fee. It's probably going to be bumped up a little bit more. Um, I think the guys at Why Always Us, uh, Sam Lee, broke down the finances and said that City put aside two hundred or so million pounds for this transfer, which seems an awful lot when when you sort of just rattle it out like that. But when you include the the fee itself, the wages, the image rights, all that sort of business, it's what you expect, isn't it, for a big club and. These are the transfers, I suppose, of supporters that we just have to get excited about because it's a long way from the likes of Philippe Caicedo and Karadi and and the ones that we've we've sort of 15 years ago become accustomed to. And even like the last five years or so, this is a massive signing. And if City pull it off, it will represent a watershed moment for the club. One, just one final thing on this. I want to ask this question. It just came into my head. It doesn't even need an answer. But obviously... So much of the talk around this this transfer is the agent commissions for his dad, for Mino Raiola, and so on and so forth. I wonder if it was just a flat out transfer fee of 150 million mm. instead of 70 million and 80 million in fees. 
you know, 70 million release clause, 80 million in fees. If it was just a flat out transfer fee of 150 million, would people be up in arms or would it be like, this is the striker of this generation? Yeah. 150 million is, is worth every yeah. penny. Or is it, you know what I mean? Is, yeah, is it just yeah, yeah. like people are like, oh, look at these crazy fees they're paying. But if they just flat out paid $150 million, I don't think anybody would be up in arms about it. Um, I'm not too sure. I think they probably would have been uh, amplifying the the disgust and the anger. But I know what you mean. Because um, on that, it, it amazes me when we see a, a quote-unquote, and I, I purposefully put the quote-unquote there, free transfer. Because famously, when a player leaves a club at the end of his contract... They don't have to pay wages for the rest of the career and, and they go there as a volunteer and Lionel Messi is residing in Paris as a sort of a good Samaritan and he isn't being paid any money. Of course, that's absolute nonsense. In fact, half the time, they probably get closer to what they would have paid for a player had they just bought them in the in the January window prior purely because you are paying that much in agent fees. So it's a weird deal, isn't it? it, it it's, Juventus it's are completely broke because they only go for free transfers and then they have to pay people like Aaron Ramsey £400,000 yeah. a week. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's not a sustainable model. Maybe this is, is the new wave, I suppose, isn't it? And, and release clauses seem to have been a thing of the past. And especially, I know we're going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but in Spain, they're at the sort of a, a dead cert, but to the other extreme, really, aren't they? It's like a billion pound for Gavi or whatever it may be, or Pedri has to leave for, like, you have to swap a nation state to buy Pedri off Barcelona or something daft like that. But I suppose maybe sensible release clauses like this, when you have a player who has ambitions of going from one club to another and sort of experience in elite football which is fair enough maybe this is the way forward we'll see it's an interesting one but um we'll we'll leave the robot chat behind then and, and hopefully it's not too long before Haaland is holding up that city shirt and he's doing the photos with Tixie and he's walking around the Etihad and he's in Mary D's having a pint those are hopeful sights that we'll see in the future but for now Second half of today's show, then we will we'll get back in the real world um, just for now, and we'll we'll have a look at what's coming up in the next couple of weeks in terms of city fixtures. We won't so much do a Watford preview, which is the next game to to the the point of recording. We'll obviously speak about it, but we'll take a look at sort of like a wider view of the running and and what we can possibly expect from the next few weeks. I'm going to rattle off the schedule as it is right now then. Obviously, there's a a trip away to Wolverhampton Wanderers that needs to be thrown in there somewhere. It's looking like it may be one of the last weeks of the season, so we'll wait and see. But as of now, Watford at home is on Saturday. Real Madrid at home is on Tuesday. Leeds away is on Saturday. Real Madrid away is on the following Wednesday. Newcastle at home is on the 8th of May. West Ham is away on the 15th of May and then Aston Villa at home on the 22nd of May. Where do you see potential problems for City, if at all, coming in that running? I think the two toughest games would have to be West Ham and Wolves away. Um, But it's always worth mentioning at this end of the season that There's so many different factors at play here. This isn't a game in January or December where the teams aren't really in in many cup competitions. The Champions League and the Europa League aren't going on anymore. Um, And it's kind of, you know, one game per week and you've got fully fit squads for the most part. Um, You know, West Ham may be in, in a Europa League final at that point and we'll have something else to be looking forward to. Um, 
wolves may be on the beach already. So <laughs> there's no beaches like, in Wolverhampton, Adam. Surely you knew that. <laughs> wolves may be on a beach somewhere else. Hopefully, it's not somewhere an English beach because they <laughs> yeah. seem horrible, depressing. Um, but you never know, kind of what stage of the season teams like this are in. Um, you know, famously that QPR game back in in 2012. If QPR aren't fighting for relegation, there are we four nil or fighting for survival? Sorry, are we four nil up at halftime? Mm. Like, mm. does that game it, does that game play out the way it does because they were fighting for their lives at the time? So every single game is winnable, and this may sound really, really, really simple, but every every single game that we win, like going into this Brighton game, it felt like the start of a stretch. You know, we got yeah, through yeah. the the grueling two weeks of Atletico, Liverpool, Atletico, Liverpool. And this felt like, you know, the next stretch. Um, each game we kind of tick off, it, it gives you a little bit more confidence of mm. like, we've seen this team do it before. Take it game by game, take it result by result. Um, as cliche as that sounds. Um, but they should be winning every game. Like there are, there are some toughies in there, but they should be winning every game. They should be. Um, uh, uh, but but the thing is, how many games in in world football? How many opponents does City play where you go they shouldn't or they, they they might not win that? I think the only one you could really have in there realistically domestically is Liverpool because if you were to have throw Chelsea in there, you go City should be winning that and whether that's at home or away or if it's United, I suppose Tottenham Hotspur is a different one and and thankfully we don't have to play them. But um, the thing that worries me a little bit is. As much as I know City are capable of doing these incredible winning runs and 2018-19, 2013-14, even a little bit of 2011-12 and, and the free title races City have really had to win, not just sort of had it done by mid-February, they have been able to put these winning runs together and shown character and that that's sort of ingrained in the squad now, isn't it? That's a part of City. That That's the, the sort of the legacy Pep Guardiola speaks about, especially in, in terms of Europe and, and what City have lacked in the past. In the league, in, in English football at least, City are a sort of a, a synonym for these fantastic winning runs that just pop up at the right times. However, the thing that worries me, like I said, is is these these names of these teams are clubs you can envisage City dropping points in, and it's it, it may be the most sort of unassuming fixture. So, for example, Newcastle at home, Newcastle are you know they're they're on a fantastic run at the moment, but three games from the end of the season or four games, whatever it may be, you should expect City to to do that but it may not be the case and and you know you look at the 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 hard ones there Wolves I would definitely agree but West Ham away like you say they might be resting players for Europa League finals you don't know and and it's this weird period of time isn't it in a title race where all sorts can happen but then again nothing can happen at all and we may be here in the in the days leading up to Aston Villa at home going oh you know what City had an absolute doddle Liverpool have dropped points elsewhere you know, guard of honour, or it could be a case of, well, that was pretty disappointing, wasn't it? And, you know, City have dropped points at one, two, three clubs and, you know, a draw here or a loss there. And and it's, it, I suppose we can't predict it. If we could, we'd be making a lot of money. But it, it's, I don't know if, what I'm trying to say is I don't know if I'd have picked this run in 
Is that fair to say? Or, you know, would I have preferred a Chelsea away, a Tottenham at home, an Arsenal at home? You know, one of those games in there where you can really get the crowd up because uh, I was obviously COVIDed up for the Brighton game, so I wasn't able to get to the Etihad. But my my dad reported that it felt flat. It felt like the day after the Lord Mayor's prayer. And it uh, it just felt like really, like, City fans were maybe a little bit mellowed by the the result of the weekend, and obviously the big game before that was the Liverpool one. And you're going from such a high to such a sort of like a, you're on a come down basically. And it's like, I don't know, would you have would you have picked this run in? Is is I guess what I'm trying to say? No, I think I would go with the and this this isn't an insult at you. I would go with the more logical pick, which is <laughs> yeah. play play the teams that we should be beating. There's one thing that's really important here. I I think that we have been almost beat down by the media's coverage of this title run-in, which is that Liverpool are this inevitable team with all this momentum and City are fending off this great challenger. That's the narrative of this title race. When you look at it, when you back up and look at it from almost like a decade's point of view, Liverpool have never won a title race. Yeah, Those yeah. players, they do not have experience doing this. City has a lot of experience doing this. 2013-14, the mm. 2012, 2018-19. You know, they have experience doing this. When Liverpool won the title, it was a stroll. They didn't have a challenger. They didn't have City to fend off. They mm. didn't have Chelsea to fend off. Um, you know, I was listening a few weeks ago before the the Premier League game against Liverpool to the Blue Moon podcast and David Mooney was having a discussion with Neil Atkinson, I believe his name was from the Anfield Rap, and he was basically saying, you know, uh, one of the one of my fears. This is the the Liverpool fan. He's saying one of my fears is is we've never wo- we've never won one of these. Yeah, you know, we've won a title, but we've never won a title race, and I think that is absolutely huge because, you know, you go back and at 2018-19, and you can say. Liverpool did all they could that, you know, they won the, the, all their remaining games and that, that run in and, and lost by a point, but they didn't come out on top mm-hmm. city did. So we were having this discussion in our, in our group chat with some, the, some of the main road ramble guys and a couple of us were kind of differing on opinions. And, and I think it was Andrew and I were both were saying like, what have we ever seen from this city side that doesn't just put so much confidence in you in this run in this isn't, uh, this isn't 2000 city anymore. It's not. And there's there's like, me and Joe in the other corner <laughs> crying right. into our phone. This team has shown time and time again that they're built for these run-ins and they won't be looking at this like they've got to fend off this mighty rival. They'll be looking at this like we're going to go out and we're going to win all of our games. We're not going to look at other results and we're going to win the win the league title. That's that's how I feel about this. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And like I say, you know, um, City do have the experience and and, uh, myself and Alex Brotherton of of various other City-related parishes had this conversation. I think it may have been after the Brentford game, which is going a a while back now, the Brentford at home game, which I think was in in February. And I said, you know, Liverpool haven't done this before. Exactly, just echoed what you have said. And even though in 2018-19 they did win every game, what did they have to show for it? And and do those scars run deep within that squad? I don't know. They've They've won enough since then to perhaps say no. But when it comes to the Premier League, you know, it's a different situation. Um, I guess we'll look at Liverpool's running then because 
it does matter. It's relevant. It's important. And, you know, that's where the, the title could be won or lost. You know, we speak about cities winning and, and the, the games that they can get points in. It may not come down to that. Here's hoping. But um, again, their, their schedule may change a little bit because of an FA Cup final or whatnot. But as it stands, Everton at home, which is the upcoming game this weekend, I'm ignoring the Champions League for now, but then it's Newcastle away for them. Tottenham at home, Aston Villa at home, Southampton away, and then Wolves at home. Are we, as if we are led to believe, is that going to be 18 points from 18 for Liverpool or do they have a slip up in them somewhere? I think it's going to be 18 from 18. And I think that it's going to be the same thing from City and I think they're going to win the league by a point just to kind of throw my my big prediction (laughs) out there. Um, The United game, the United-Liverpool game a few days ago was kind of knocked me off of my pedestal a little bit because I think I even said it on this podcast that I don't care how bad the other team is. If there's a lot of emotion in a game, it can change things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was looking at that United game and the Merseyside Derby like those teams are shit, but there's emotion. There's emotion in that game. There's history in those those fixtures. Um, So I don't have any confidence in Everton now (laughs) who does Um, but i think it's going to be 18 from 18 i mean you look at the games and there's a couple tricky ones in there newcastle away might be tough you know if if st james park is up for it and 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 newcastle's up for it they're a much different team these days under eddie howe um i think the big one to highlight obviously is tottenham right Uh, we've seen what antonio conte's tottenham can do to you and We've seen from Liverpool that they can be a bit vulnerable at the back with teams with speed that can get in behind and break. I mean, there are few better teams in England or in Europe that when they get going on a counterattack that are better than than Harry Kane, mm-hmm. Hungman's son, uh, Kulusevsky. So that's probably the one to highlight. But, but with that being said, um, they're going to win every single game and City are going to have to do the same to win the league. Yeah, just a correction there before I go on. I think I said Aston Villa at home for Liverpool. It's actually away at Villa Park, but whether or not that matters, I'm, I'm not too sure. Because like you, I see six wins from six for Liverpool, really. And I do think if City wants to win the league, they, they're going to have to do it themselves. I think it will be that simple. Like you say, the, the Spurs game's the one that... <clears throat> excuse me, the, the Spurs game's the ones that jump out at you, really. But the, the thing that is ushering me towards thinking Liverpool do go 18 from 18 points is the fact that it's at Anfield. And take it away to the, the Tottenham Hotspur Spurs Stadium, whatever it's called now. I can't remember if they got a naming rights for it or if it's just still that name. But but yeah, it, you know, you take it away there and it, it does become a different game. Whereas at Anfield, you, you know... It just seems like a, a fixture of any Liverpool game, big game at Anfield. Five minutes in, it's already 1-0 Liverpool. And, and I can only see that really happening again. Um, do they have a draw in there somewhere? I don't know. It may come down to the Champions League games, which I guess we'll, we'll see this podcast out on then and, and speak about what sort of impact they may play. Because um, City obviously have Real Madrid, 13-times European champions, Somehow, I don't know how this is this has happened. It's pretty remarkable and pretty commendable, really. Liverpool have found themselves with the favourable draw, and and even though I think they would have beaten Bayern Munich, I don't even think Liverpool supporters could have envisaged a a, a knockout run of Inter Milan. Italian champions, fair enough, tough game. Benfica, who anyone who follows the Portuguese league will know they're having a 
uh, below par campaign and it's only really the, the talents of Darwin Nunes who have kept them alive this year um, and then Villarreal who are you and I both watch plenty of, of European football write about plenty of European football isn't the vintage Villarreal season in La Liga that, that some may be led to believe so is it going to be a situation again where in the running Liverpool get the job done at Anfield? They can go away to go away to Villarreal and be able to rest players as City gear up for a, a you know a tight knockout game at the Bernabeu. How much of an impact do you reckon that could have? I think it'd be huge. I mean, I think we saw it last week just how big of a factor it is in the fact that going into the FA Cup semi final that they were able to come in play a full strength squad and and City were really beat up and and we mm. saw that result so. That could be huge if, if they get a big win in that first leg um, and they can rest a lot of players for the weekend. But there's something about City, this, this the business end of the season, that they just like click into this mode. They've got the blinders on. They don't care mm-hmm. what, what's going on around them and, and they just do their thing. And I'm just kind of praying that, that that's still the same City. Yeah, yeah, we'll um, we'll do plenty of previewing of that Real Madrid game in the early episode next week because that 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 one comes around really quickly, doesn't it? A little bit quicker than than I imagined. We uh, Watford on the weekend, and then the small matter of Real Madrid. Um, before we bounce, then I believe you've got a little bit of homework to complete. You you naughty school child. Um, friend of the show, Daniel Spoon, asked us a while back when I completely in hands up here completely botched a basketball analogy that I had no right to attempt and and, and funnily enough it's like that that gif actually when the, the guy throws a sort of like goes to, to shoot at basketball I'm gonna do it again he goes to shoot at basketball and it's sort of like going around the rim and he thinks it in he's turned around and he's celebrating and it just pops out that was me trying to trying to do that but yeah I completely botched the basketball analogy um and then and then Daniel came in saying like basically what what on earth was that you were saying and then sort of challenged us to to come up with what the equivalent or the football equivalent of a double double would be now i i have some idea what a double double is i was gonna i was gonna ask if you know what a no no not a triple triple a a double double and a triple double oh (laughs) leave this leave this call Um, so tell us i believe i believe just just for shits and giggles tell us what you believe now you say that you say shits and giggles but i think i might have this are there five statistical categories and a double double is a situation where a player achieves a number of two of them is that a respectable answer yeah that's respectable it's a double double is when you have 10 or more points and 10 or more assists. Right, okay. A triple-double is 10 or more points, 10 or more assists, and 10 or more rebounds. Okay, okay. Now, for Daniel, I have tried to suss out what the football versions of these are. One was very easy. One was really difficult. The For me, the football version of a double-double would be two goals and two assists. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Now I just I went back and c- tried to find some kind of famous ones um, <laughs> to see who's done it over the years because it's not it doesn't happen often. Uh, Lionel Messi did it when Barcelona beat Lyon in the Champions League in 2019, and this season it's actually happened right under our noses. Somebody who I have never heard of in my entire life that plays for Norwich called Christos Solis. You ever heard of him? <laughs> No, he plays for Norwich. Apparently, 
He did it against Bournemouth in the League Cup this season. Two goals Damn and me. two assists. What Yet somehow, I don't think he's, don't think he's ever that. played a game for them in the Premier League. Maybe he has. Maybe I just haven't watched enough Norwich this year. Oh, my God. So I believe that's the football version of a double-double. A triple-double was really, really hard. We'll say the two goals, the two assists. And then I thought of maybe... Um, I looked at like what the average amount of... Uh, successful dribbles like a winger will have mm. and I was finding most would have like two or three a game the big ones like Usman Dembele and guys like that yeah. so I thought maybe two goals two assists and four successful dribbles Jeez, uh, didn't find anybody that did that so I thought it had to be something <laughs> that was tenable maybe yeah. two goals two assists and two yellow cards and you're sent off Interesting. but then we're then we're then we're creeping into <laughs> hockey here <laughs> which is a Gordy a Gordy Howe hat trick, which is a goal, an assist, and a fight. So I, I'm mixing up all the sports now. But I think I'm hoping that simple that's- one not be uh, two goals, two assists, two. And I know this is a controversial term, but two pre assists. Would that not just be like the? the so now we're back one? into hockey because that's a hockey assist. Oh, all roads lead to hockey. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I just maybe Daniel can can tweet at us and say what he thinks yeah. a triple double would be. But it's just like outside of goals and assists and maybe like clearances for a defender. Mm, mm. There's not really any st- stat lines in football that are that kind of like specific. Well, I mean, not that specific, but that kind of mainstream in a sense. So it yeah. was a tough. It was a toughie, but I enjoyed. It. I was sitting in the bathtub and trying to figure out what a triple double was in football. It was a, it was a great time. I'm just want it to be known if in like a year's time, if we start hearing, you know, the, the, the footballing analyst gods and the, the statistical boffins of the footballing world start coming out with this. I want it known on the 21st of April, 2022, you heard it here first. And we were the pioneers with Daniel's help of defining what a double double and a triple double was for football. But, um, I think that's enough nonsense for today. It, it feels like an episode that's been a little bit unhinged, like the uh, the two naughty school kids at the back of the the class just giggling away when the teachers trying to trying to get on with some serious points. Well, for full transparency for the listeners, this is the first time we've ever recorded at night and <laughs> with alcohol. Yeah. So <laughs> that's probably influenced the podcast yeah. a bit. Yeah, I'd say yeah. Drink responsibly, unless it's supporting Manchester City, then then there's no responsibility at all. Um, that will do then. That that will that will be enough of this. Um, if you can, if you've not already, which again I keep saying, why not? Follow, subscribe, whatever your podcast platform allows you to do. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. It, it, it means an awful lot to us, and it helps us get out to as many Manchester City is as possible. But I think that will do. If you've got anything else to add, Adam, then now is the time to do it. I do not. I think we got all of that nonsense out of our system. Yeah, indeed. And now I'm going to just have to try and find a way to fall asleep without giggling away into my into my into my slumber. Um, thank you very much for listening. As always, it has been a pleasure. Until next time, I've been Amos Murphy. I've been Adam Booker. See you later.
Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.